Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me ever to adore Thee May I still Thy goodness prove While the hope of endless glory Fills my heart with joy to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a Oh, 
morning and welcome to our worship this morning. It's good to see everyone here. I'm Phil Jackson, one of the elders here at Preston Crest and a special welcome to our visitors. We are so glad that you are here. We ask everyone, members and visitors, if you would please check in. You see the number uh, behind me or there's information on the few cards right in front of you. If you're a first-time visitor, uh, we ask that you fill out that, uh, that pew card and take it to our Information Visitor Center in the back, and we have a special gift for you, thanking you for being here this morning. We have some things to be thankful for this morning, uh, some great work that is being done. Uh, I just want you to know the Women of Worship, which is a tremendous uh, group that meets on Tuesday mornings. They created care packages uh, for, the, for the hurricane victims in Florida, and so our group SGSO will be delivering those. So thank you to those ladies. What great work is being done for those who, who suffered um, that, uh, that terrible hurricane. And then, of course, we had Pumpkin Fest. It's good to see everyone upright that you survived Pumpkin Fest. Uh, it was always, it's always great fun. And so we thank everyone. Uh, thank you volunteers, whether you brought goodies, uh, uh, treats, whether you helped with trunk or treat, helped uh, watch one of the various activities and with the games, uh, with the food prep. There was so much that we uh, want to thank you for those that helped uh, volunteer and helped with that. It was a great event. Lots of people were here. I hear over 1,800. And so I know we served our community. When, when I left last night, I happened to drive through the community and I saw lots of families who had been here walking home. And so I know it was a great event for our families. We look forward to Pumpkin Fest every year. All right, let's, um, let's turn our thoughts again to worship. Hear the words of the Lord from Psalms 37. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bring to you the day the best we have to offer, for you offered your very best in sending your son Jesus to save us. We are humbled. Today, Lord, we call upon your promise to deliver us, especially in times of trouble. We, we have here in our midst those who are suffering the pains of life, sickness, loss of a loved one, financial problems, relationship issues, the, the list goes on. We ask your blessings on them, for we know we can take refuge in you. And thank you for the good in our life. Help us to see it plainly in, in the changing of the seasons and the smile of children at Pumpkin Fest and the generosity and service scene and, and those uh, making care packages and sending aid to those who have literally suffered life storms in Florida and elsewhere. As the psalmist said, you are our stronghold in the time of trouble and you will help and deliver us. Even now, you are here with us. Your spirit moves within us. So accept our worship to you this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Well, good morning, church. Let's stand and let's offer our voices in praise and worship this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love. Yeah. 
sing one more song as we enter into our time of communion. And then Paul Conway is going to come and lead us around the bread and the cup. Paul, you are a tall gentleman. I'm going to raise this mic up for you, my friend. Y'all pardon me for just a second. Tall Paul. No
Good morning, church. Blessing to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 tells us of Joshua's death. And the Bible tells us that Joshua died at the ripe age of 110 years old. Joshua, raised up by God to lead the people into the promised land. Simply because Moses had disobeyed God and God did not permit him into the land of Canaan. And the Bible says in Judges chapter 2, after it tells us about Joshua's death, in verse 10, it said, after that generation died, that generation that moved into the promised land, it says, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done. After that generation died, another generation grew up and this generation that grew up did not acknowledge the Lord and they did not even know what God had did for Israel. Wow. At Preston Crest, we're celebrating 50 years this year. And I believe that we all would want the next generation after us to know what God has done for us here. But could we imagine a world where the next generation does not acknowledge God, nor do they know what God has done for you? Believe it or not, when I was growing up, uh, I was a chubby kid. And I would uh, be in worship with my parents and when it came time for communion, I was always hungry. <laughs> and I, I used to ask my dad, I'm peeping over into the trays that's been passed by, and I want a cracker so bad, and I want a little juice so bad. And I would get home, and I would ask my, my parents, why can't I have some food in church? <laughs> We come here to remember communion because God has ordained his people in this day to remember him every week. Because God has had experience with the next generation growing up behind them and not acknowledging him or remembering what he did in the generation before. And in those questions I would ask my father, I, I realize now that when we bring our children to church and we participate in communion, that he has built into the family a question in children to ask us, why do we do this every Sunday? But for me, it was why could not do it myself? And God told us to be ready on all occasions to give an answer for your faith. And a lot of times we think that comes at a stranger that we meet on the road, a coworker at work, or somebody that we're supposed to evangelize at some point in time in life. But God has built into the family children who are naturally inquisitive. And when the children ask us, why can't they have the communion in church, God says, be ready to give an answer for your faith. And church, we come here, taking of this bread that represents Christ's broken body, that God made a sacrifice for us, that he paid a debt that we couldn't pay. And we recognize the juice, and we understand that this represents the blood shed on the cross. For the Bible says in Hebrews, without bloodshed, there is no forgiveness. And are we all in need of forgiveness of sin? Right. 
And so we come at this time to reflect on the sacrifice that was made on our behalf and to remember and also that we may be able to bear witness even when our tender children ask us, why do we do this? Let us pray. Father God, we come thanking you for loving us so much that you sent your only begotten son into this world for us, for me. And Lord, as we remember him going to the cross, Lord, that we recognize this bread that we're taking, Lord, that it represents the broken body, the sacrifice that you made. Father, as we take this cup, Lord, we recognize that it reminds us of the bloodshed and your goodness of forgiveness, Lord, that you have given to all of us, Father. We ask, Lord, that we take this in clean hands, and with clean hearts. Father, that we do not take it in an unworthy manner, Father, that our minds are totally focused on you and the sacrifice that you made, Father, so that this generation will be an example to the next. And it is in Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Let us pray for the cup. Lord, again, we come recognizing, Lord, that this cup represents you, the blood on the cross, Father. As we still have that understanding, Lord, that without bloodshed, Lord, there is no forgiveness of sin, Father. Lord, let us take this cup with clean hands and clean hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again to Preston Crest, we're so glad that you are here. The family that's of brothers and sisters here, visitors, we're so glad that you're here. Um, hey, if you want to give this morning, you can give online, you can give through church teams, you can drop a check or money out in the box in the foyer. Uh, we're just glad that you're here to worship with us. Uh, last night I made some memories. It was fun. Um, I got to see a three-year-old dressed as an avocado. Did you see the avocado kid? That was pretty cool. I got to see, oh man, and look at those pictures. I was like, oh, I wish we'd gotten this one. I got to see a tiny chihuahua dressed as a pumpkin who decided to relieve himself right in front of the welcome center. Um, and I got to hear last night from our neighbors, just so grateful as they left and got to hang out here with us. And then they were leaving and they were just so grateful to have a safe place to bring their kids and to have a good night, family night together. So thank you guys for volunteering. It's just one of the, one of the good works going on here. We'll hear about the evangelism conference in just a moment that's coming up. Uh, but so many good things that God has allowed us to be a part of. Let's, let's thank him. Father, there's no goodness within us. There's no, it's all from you. All of the love we have comes from you. All of the kindness we have has been shown to us by you. And I pray, God, that you'll bless this congregation as we continue to do good works. As Jesus told us in Matthew 5, that our good works may draw people to 
you, that they may praise the Father because of our good works. And I pray, God, that you'll continue to be with this congregation here in Dallas and help us to lift up the name of Jesus with the good that we do. We pray this in his name. Amen. Is your church growing or is it slowly dying, leaving you discouraged and disheartened? Hi, my name is Jacob Hawk, and I serve as the director of the Telling the Story Church Growth and Evangelism Conference, and I am also a minister here at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. Every year, it is estimated that 70 churches of Christ close their doors in America. It's a disheartening statistic, but it's even worse if we do nothing to stop it. Now, there are numerous gimmicks out there for church growth. But the eternal method, tried and tested, straight from the mouth of Jesus, is disciples making disciples. And so on February the 3rd through 5th, 2023, we are hosting a conference to help churches get back on track, on mission, moving in the right direction. Every presentation in class will focus on evangelism and church growth. From ministering to neighborhoods, teens, women, broken families, conducting personal Bible studies, servant leadership, and training future leaders, we have something for everyone. Child care is provided, as well as a free celebration of ministry dinner on Saturday evening. Come and be our guest at Preston Crest as we discuss church growth, evangelism, and building the kingdom. You can register today at PrestonCrest.org. We can't wait to see you. Yeah, church. I just wanted you to see what we're going to be sending out to lots of churches to invite them to come here to be a part of this in February. Hey, next week is a World Care Sunday. That's a fifth Sunday. And so we set aside fifth Sundays for an extra time of offering and um, helping those around the world. We have a lot of people that have brought needs to us. And so this church is so generous. So, so generous. Thank you. So come prepared next Sunday for our World Care offering, World Care Sunday. Let's, uh, let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. We're going to sing one more song before Gordon comes back up to share with us. And we shall be strong. Thank you, John Scott. You know, if you don't come to Pumpkin Fest, you miss out on John Scott's alter ego. What is your What is your uh, rapper name or your DJ name? DJ Spinny Spin. DJ, I don't know, but he is he is running the, the tunes here each year and does a great job with that. I am a little bit sad today. We have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, Jesus' epic on what it means to be a kingdom of heaven, what it means to be a follower of his. And we're wrapping that up, so I'm a little bit sad about that. And we'll start into something new next week. But as we come toward the end, 
we're told in Matthew 7, 28, that that audience that heard Jesus was amazed at his teaching. I don't know what it takes for you to be amazed, uh, but that audience was amazed at the teaching of Jesus. The sermon that he preached, though, it has kind of an interesting end to it. Jesus preaches this sermon, and at the end, he basically says, do this or else. Now, if I said that, if you said that, it would probably be interpreted as a threat. But with Jesus, it is not a threat because he had a certain kind of authority that no human has ever had. We're told in Matthew 7, 29, he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Some people have authority. We know what authority looks like. Some people have authority because they have a title. Some people have authority because they know things. They are an expert in a particular field. Um, In Jesus' day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law had authority because they knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They knew the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh. And so they had this authority because they were experts of the law. Uh, But Jesus comes along with not just another level of authority. It's not like Jesus, well, he just knew more scripture than they did. No, he didn't just have another level. He had another kind of authority. Um, He doesn't just know the word. John chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is the word of God. Same verse in John 1. He doesn't just know about God. Jesus is God. God, and he isn't simply an expert on the nature of things, on reality. He is reality. Colossians 1.16, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, Jesus brought the cosmos into existence. He was involved in the creation of all that is He is the sustainer of all that is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great German theologian who was at odds with the Nazis, ended up giving up his life uh, during World War II. He said, the Sermon on the Mount is the word of the very one who is the Lord and law of reality. Everything real is summed up in Christ. Jesus was the only person to have ever lived. You know, people pick their pronouns these days. Jesus was the only person who ever lived who could declare with a straight face, John 8, 28, you, know, you want to know what to call me? I am. Jesus was the great I am. Uh, so when a sermon ends with do this or else, in Jesus' case, it's a statement of fact. It's a statement based on reality from the author of reality. It's not a threat. And so he begins with something I don't think is going to surprise anyone. In Jesus' day, in our day, there were, there are counterfeit Christians. And he addresses that at the end of Matthew chapter 7. He says, you know, there are people out there who say, oh, Lord, Lord, I'm yours. But their lifestyle does not match up with that. John 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who, what? Who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I have been interested for a long time in those stories that we come across of a man or woman who pretends to be something that they are not. You could call them a fraud. You could call them a con artist. Some of the things are quite elaborate. In 1980, at the Boston Marathon, one of the more famous frauds was a woman named Rosie Ruiz. She was a Cuban marathoner who was awarded first place in the Boston Marathon Women's Division. Sure enough, Rosie started the race Rosie crossed the finish line, broke the tape before any other woman. In between, however, Rosie Ruiz, and she received the laurel crown on her head, the champion's medallion, all of that. And then it was discovered by people who saw her, she had ridden the subway 
between the start of the race and the end of the race. She was a cheater, and that was found out. I heard a story the other day about some Navy SEALs, a couple of guys who were at a bar, and they heard some guy bragging to other patrons at the bar that, they, that he was a Navy SEAL. He had some, some patches on his jacket that were kind of Navy SEAL-ish, and they just listened to this guy talk, and they knew he wasn't one of them. A, Navy SEALs don't brag about being Navy SEALs, and B, uh, those patches were not legit. So they walked over, and they engaged this guy in a conversation. They fed him a little bit of rope, a little bit of rope. They let him talk. They let him talk. And finally, they beat the daylights out of him, which I do not endorse, I do not endorse physical violence, but that guy had that beating coming. They call that, by the way, that's stolen valor. I don't know if you've heard that one, when you act like you we're in some battle or, or we're a veteran and you're not. That's stolen valor. Anyway, we've got this claim from Jesus that I don't think anyone's going to contest, that there are people who say, I'm a Christian, but don't act like a Christian. In fact, if you are an unbeliever, if you don't like church, if you're not interested in faith, this may be the reason why. <laughs> it may be all of these Christians that go around talking about Jesus, but they don't show the love of Jesus and the way they live, and the way they treat others. Um, so, he's calling us to, to live out these words. Uh, by the way, it literally makes no sense. It is meaningless to call Jesus Lord and then not follow his teachings. That doesn't, it's like an Aggie who wears longhorn gear. It's like a, a nutritionist who only eats at McDonald's. It, it makes no sense. You can call yourself a turnip. That doesn't make you a turnip. You can call yourself a Christian. It doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. So the conclusion of his message is quite simply, what are you going to do with my teaching? Are you going to live out the principles, the ethic of the kingdom of God or not? It does, he doesn't finish his sermon saying, okay, if you agree with what I said, raise your hand. He doesn't finish by saying, if you want to call me Lord today, raise your hand. He says, do this. Follow my teaching. And then he gives us the story. Jesus did that all the time. He told them a parable. And it's a parable about two lives. One life built on his words, on his teaching. One life built with no regard to his words or teaching. And in the story he tells, instead of lives, he uses homes. He uses building projects. So here we go, Matthew 7, 24. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew against and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why didn't it fall? Because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the beach, who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against this house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I don't know if you notice in that story, but there are so many similarities between the two homes, right? I mean, so many similarities. Like, for instance, they appear to be identical homes, Maybe same blueprints, same paint, same shutters. I don't know. But Jesus doesn't point out any difference whatsoever in the actual structure of the two homes. Another thing they have in common is they face the same uh, environmental conditions, the same inclement weather. Both houses got rained on. Both houses faced some floodwaters. Both houses had to, had to come up against the wind that beat against them. So these houses had so much in common. And think about it. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you're going to have some troubles in life, right? We know this. You're going to have some setbacks. You're going to have some unplanned catastrophes occur in your life, some storms. And it could be, and we won't spend all, we could list these all day. But just a few examples, just kind of get us thinking. I mean, it could be financial I know people who've gotten an astronomical medical bill, wiped out their savings. Some of you have lost jobs. You know what that's like. 
Um, it could be losing your retirement account somehow. Um, financial storms are real, right? It could be a relationship storm, and there are so many different kinds of conflict and dysfunction that we have. It could be a, an issue with a child. It could be an issue with a spouse. It could be an issue with a neighbor, with a boss. Um, you know, there are so many different kinds of relationship storms that occur, and they're pretty much inevitable in life. I mean, not every relationship is going to be perfect and smooth sailing. There are health storms that happen. Um, a diagnosis that's unwanted. You may have, have suffered through a time where you had to watch a, a loved one slowly die. Terminal illness played out over months, maybe even over years. That's a storm. Maybe you suffered a sudden loss of a loved one. That's another kind of storm. But the, the reality is we all face them. Mental health issues, depression, anxiety, those are storms that some of us have to face. According to Jesus, everybody, whether you are a follower of his or not, you will inevitably face some stormy weather, challenges, difficulties on this side of heaven. Um, and of course, all of us are going to die at some point. Hebrews 9.27. Um, I guess you could say that's a kind of storm. I think the bigger storm is what happens after we die when we face judgment. Judgment is a real thing. And whether that is a storm or a celebration depends, again, on your relationship with Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 16.33, here on earth, he said this to his disciples, here on earth you will have, quote, many trials and sorrows. And these are words spoken to people who follow Jesus. You will have many trials and sorrows. That's not really good news or bad news. I mean, it's just news. It's, 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 it's reality from the author of reality. Um, we will not face perhaps the exact same storms or the same storms at the same moment or season in life. We won't necessarily face the same intensity of storms, but we will face storms. One of the builders in the story Jesus tells faces these storms, and the thing holds up, right? It takes a beating from the wind and the water, and it holds up. Uh, the other one comes down with a great crash. The difference is not in the materials used there, the paint job on the house, the plantation shutters on one, different guy. No, it's the foundation. One is built on bedrock, one is built on sand. And of course, Jesus, he's not talking about home building. He's not talking about principles for solid construction. He's talking about life building, um, the life that is sturdy, the life that holds up. It's a life built on Jesus and his words. A life built on Jesus has a sure foundation. By the way, not all the rains that fall are catastrophes or tribulations. Um, some of it's just part of being part of a culture. A culture falls on everybody equally. A culture rains down constantly on the people who live in the culture. It covers everything underneath it. Uh, I mean, you can probably have your own list. Our culture today is a culture of sexual immorality. Our culture today is a culture of violence, even violence as a form of entertainment. Our culture today is a culture of greed, a culture of materialism, a culture that worships and adores hoarding of wealth, a culture that idolizes achievement and success and beauty. That's our culture. These are the rains that you experience falling on you every day in our culture. And oh yeah, let's not forget self, me. Our culture loves the self worships the self. Years ago, a sociologist, Robert Bella, wrote a book called Habits of the Heart. And in this book, he was talking about uh, some of the different things he was seeing in his therapeutic work and his research work. And he included an interview with a woman named Sheila Lawson. Sheila was a, Larson rather, Sheila was a young nurse. And he recorded what she said when he asked, okay, Sheila, do you have faith? Are you a believer? This is what she said. I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. 
My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. My own Sheilaism. You know, it's just try to love yourself, be gentle with yourself. Uh, you know, I guess take care of each other. I think God would want us to take care of each other. Okay, that was back in 1985, and wow, does that hold up today. The idea that I'm going to manufacture the religion that works for me. I'm in the driver's seat. I'm the authority. I'm going to cobble something together that where I'm at the center, and, and it works, it produces results for me and my life. Um, and, you know, with the, with the decline of church attendance, with the decline of just respect for authority in general and, uh, and social media on the rise, um, I think we can see how the self has been put kind of in the driver's seat. A good book, and what's surprising to me, this was written before the pandemic. A guy named Tom Nichols wrote a book called The Death of Expertise, and he talks about how, this is interesting, how ignorance has become a virtue in our culture. Listen to what he says. To reject the advice of experts is to assert autonomy, a way for Americans to insulate their increasingly fragile egos from ever being told they are wrong about anything. It's a new declaration of independence. No longer do we hold these truths to be self-evident, we hold all truths to be self-evident, even the ones that aren't true. All things are knowable, and every opinion on any subject is as good as any other. Folks, that's the culture that we live in today. And these reins of culture are falling down on us. All authority outside of self is called into question the self is the real authority. Of course, the Bible has been telling us for centuries you cannot trust yourself. The culture says, trust your heart. Follow your heart. The Bible says, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart provides me with false information with false direction on a pretty constant basis. So as believers, we are not transformed by the little voice inside of ourselves. We are transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. One way leads to distortion. Another way leads to being formed into the image of Christ. Paul talked about this in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, okay, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God, I, I'm not here to discover what, what my will is, what my kingdom project. I want to know what your will is for my life. Jesus, I want to build my life on, on the rock that is you, on reality and not on whatever I'm feeling or thinking about today. I'm no authority. The reins of culture fall on all of us. The disciple has their feet planted on the identity of Jesus. Um, not their own internal compass, but on true north. That is Jesus. Matthew seven twenty four. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So who or what is the authority in your life? Is it your own version of Sheilaism? Is it that 24-hour news channel you tune into? Is it, that, is it that influencer that you follow on the gram or on Twitter? Is it your, I mean, what is it that you follow? Who or what is your authority? What is the foundation of your life? So Matthew relates that when Jesus finished speaking, Matthew says the crowds were astonished. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority. While other people taught with some authority, like I do. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm teaching the Word of God. I'm sharing with you something from the Scripture. There's authority there. Jesus taught with authority because he was the authority. 
He was the embodiment of the word of God. Jesus was not simply an interpreter of God's word. Jesus was God's word. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He wasn't simply a source of truth. Jesus declared, I am the truth. John 14, 6, I am the truth. He wasn't just a giver of life. He was the resurrection and the life. Remember that conversation in John 11 with Martha. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus, well, he's the great I am. John 8, 58, he told his opponents, before Abraham was, I am. He declared himself to be Yahweh. So if you're ready this morning to claim your best life, your life that is founded and grounded on Jesus, you can do that today. Declaring him with your mouth to be your Lord and Savior and with your life to be his follower. You can do that today. You can be baptized in the name of Jesus where your sins are forgiven and you receive the gift of the Spirit to help you out as you grow into his image for the rest of your life. You can do that today. Maybe you need prayers. We would love to pray with you today or just get together and pray with somebody around you this morning. Maybe you want to learn more about what it means to be a member here at Preston Crest of this particular congregation. We would love to answer your questions and help you with that. Right now, though, the most important thing we can do is elevate Jesus and declare Jesus to be our Lord. Let's stand and do that together now. Jesus is Lord, my What a great day to be a Christian. It's great to have uh, worship with all of you this morning. A couple of reminders. Um, first, I want to thank Gordon for a great lesson this morning. John Scott, thank you for the singing. We all get to come back and hear Gordon again uh, and more singing, great singing tonight uh, at 6 o'clock. Gordon will be um, continuing the Living Hope series on First and Second Peter. It's been an excellent series. And then as we all saw the video earlier, of course we want everyone to save the date for February 3rd uh, through 5th, telling the story. Uh, you can see that's going to be a huge event here at Preston Crest, and we would love for everyone here uh, to be a part of that. So we leave here today. Here's our take-home verse. Join, uh, join me with this great verse from, from Paul in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And his people say, Amen. Thank you. 